Well, hello, all you happy hornbills out there. Welcome to another episode of A Little Greener, a podcast all about nature, conservation, and sustainability. I am one of your hosts, Casey, and I am joined by the fabulous Sarah. Hello, Sarah. Hello. How are you doing this week? I'm sleepy. (laughs) (laughs) Everything's fine, but man, just the sleep has not been happening, so... If you hear like a half second pause in between Sarah and I talking ever, it's because one of us has just been just a little on the sleepy end and needs to gather our thoughts because I'm in the same boat. (laughs) At least you have a much more exciting excuse than... Uh, Yes, pregnancy is a pretty, especially third trimester is a good excuse. But also for you guys who don't know, Sarah wakes up at like 4 a.m. to do her job. So also an excellent excuse for being sleepy. It's it's less exciting of an excuse. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Mine ends. <laughs> well, yours ends with... With less sleep, I think, probably, <laughs> I think than so. I'm currently getting out, probably. <laughs> but also a lot of upside. Yeah. Anyway, Casey, you did a much-anticipated episode for us last week where we had talked about food gardening. I don't know how much you had previously done. Have you planned any more of your and Andrew's home gardening at all since last week? Uh, So it is the first full day of spring today, I think. Um, And we started planting our lettuce and collards yesterday or the day before. So um, we've got some raised not bed, but like Mm -hmm. these little compartment situations so I can participate in them. So the above ground gardening is currently underway. Um, Andrew just has to haul the bags of stuff and then we'll start actually like carving out beds into from our lawn (laughs) pretty soon. Um, So that's very exciting. It it was 60 degrees today. So it actually felt like the plants would be happy outside. (laughs) Have you done anything? Have you looked at at your yard on any plans? So I didn't, I didn't get to do as much. I started off like very gung-ho about it and then life happened. So what I have done is I have found out that the University of Florida has fantastic resources, like fantastic month by month. Here's what you should plant in this part of the state. And then information on how to care for each of those types of things. So that was really a nice to know that I'll have that. I am a little bit concerned that my bed thing, little sectioned off space that was already created in my backyard previously is not going to be sunny enough to plant the things that I want to plant, but I have so far neglected to remember to check on it when I come home for lunch. So I'm trying to determine at what point the shade covers it it's on the wrong side of the house basically so I I need to see if that is going to be usable for the things that I want to use it for and if not what my next step is because I hesitate to plant things actually in the ground because the dog oh yes will trample right through them without always a factor so if I do have to plant things elsewhere I will need to figure out a way to keep him out of it too so so I'm still determining what that is going to look like and then I have already missed down here the first planting window for some of the things that I want so then I'll have to determine if I can get 
this spot ready in time to plant some things in the summer or if I'm just going to wait because of the climate down here I get sort of a second round in September of of planting some things that I was was hoping to get to earlier so I have looked but I have not been able to come up with a specific plan yeah you you brought up um, state colleges can be a really excellent source of information about things local to your area so yes that's another great place whether you're in florida pennsylvania or or anywhere else that's got a a big college system there they have a lot of great resources for that kind of stuff all right so this week we are changing gears a little bit we are going to be talking about chocolate so casey easy question for you what is your favorite chocolate treat are you a chocolate person answer to the second question Yes, I am very much a chocolate person. I love a good chocolate ice cream. I think that's probably my top tier. I love chocolate. I went to Europe for a semester abroad, so I got ruined by European chocolate and how good that is. I feel like a lot of people who end up spending any time in Europe, that's like the classic American who who went overseas thing to say is like, oh, but you haven't tasted the chocolate there. <laughs> um, but I do, I mean, I love a real good Three Musketeers bar. I I live near Hershey, Pennsylvania. I'm no stranger <laughs> to chocolate. As I've gotten older, I, I really enjoy dark chocolate as like my chocolate of choice versus milk. But but I'm I'm not a snob. I can <laughs> I can eat whatever chocolate you throw at me. Yeah. What about you? I agree in some sense. I so if I'm gonna have a dessert or something sweet I I want it to be chocolate if I'm going to a restaurant like I don't want any of your fruit pastries or any of that nonsense my dessert brownie chocolate chocolate cake yeah Yeah. yep Uh, so I eat all of those things yeah and if I'm gonna have cake or a cupcake I prefer chocolate to yellow cake if I'm gonna have a milkshake I want chocolate over strawberry or vanilla you know all those types of things so I consider myself a chocolate person although if I were gonna pick a snack of choice to eat I'm gonna go salty over sweet actually but that said for my sweet I do love chocolate and I think I'm with you as well and that ice cream is probably my top thing that I would pick and probably what I eat the most outside of I do love a good hot chocolate and I actually start my day every day with a chocolate flavored breakfast drink that I make oh nice with, with warm milk so that's probably what I have the most, actually. Andrew has been cutting out, really drinking much alcohol at all while I've been pregnant because, you know, That's not nice. as fun to drink alone. Yep. Um, but he's replaced that with hot chocolate. And it's just very cute to watch him where he might have like had a, a rum and coke with like while he's playing <laughs> video games with his friends. Instead, you see him like stirring his mug full of hot chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> watch out, though. He might get addicted. It's so nice. It's it just is so really comforting. Nice. It's something I have not had any sort of craving for while pregnant. For some reason, it just like has not really appealed to me to have hot chocolate. So I don't think I've had hot chocolate in like... Huh since christmas so who knows interesting and an anti-pregnant or a pregnancy anti-craving i think is what i was trying yeah. to say you yeah don't not want necessarily it. an aversion but like okay I, i'm not like i do not crave it like yeah andrew will offer it to me and i say no thank you so all right yeah huh. interesting well 
chocolate is obviously beloved by uh, a lot of people around the world. It does have some environmental impacts. Don't worry. Uh, spoiler alert. We're not going to ask you to give up your chocolate. But we are going to talk about what those environmental impacts are and what maybe are some things that we can look for or do with regards to our chocolate consumption to make it a little greener. So stick around for that. All right, everyone, welcome to our discussion on chocolate. We have talked before about the impact of our food production on the environment. We've talked about beef. We did our dairy episode. And today we are going to be taking on chocolate. And this really came about, I've mentioned a few times, I'm doing this carbon fast for Lent which every week there are where we switch it up so there are different things that we're giving up each week of lent and last week we were fasting from cheese which we have talked about in our dairy episode at least a little bit we were fasting from coffee which I'll be willing to bet will be a podcast episode at some point in the future and we were fasting from chocolate and some of the social media that I saw posted by the organization that I'm doing this uh, with, as well as other things that I've seen, talked about chocolate having a higher carbon footprint than most types of meat. And so that's kind of what I wanted to, that, or that's what inspired me, I guess, to, to want to take a look at that. And Casey, I've gone back to our tried and true, uh, our world and data graph here that shows our different food items we had this in the beef episode we had it in the dairy episode and it does correlate with that it has chocolate uh, right up there towards the top as ha having a higher this is looking specifically at greenhouse gas emissions across its supply chain and it has chocolate there uh, up above things like coffee up above eggs up above pork up above poultry is that top five? I think top five yes. uh, things listed on this and graph. Three of the top five have to do directly with cows and the other one's lamb and mutton. So this is yeah. like the first <laughs> plant-based thing. This is the highest plant-based food item by greenhouse gas emissions, according to this graph. Right. And I never really thought about that before or what that is. And so one of the things that came to light right away is I was like, well, what are what are we actually talking about when we're talking about chocolate here? So we just mentioned some chocolate treats that we like. We talk about chocolate ice cream. We have chocolate cookies. We have chocolate candy. We have chocolate bars. Uh, I have hot chocolate that I drink. There's cocoa powder. You might hear the word cacao versus cocoa. What are all these things mean? And what are we actually talking about in this graph. And so a lot of things that I was looking at with regard to chocolate and its environmental impact is looking at the full production of a chocolate candy bar. So right okay. away, that becomes clear to me. Casey, are you familiar with anything else that might go into making a chocolate bar? 
Oh my goodness. I'm so glad that you asked because I live near Hershey, Pennsylvania, and they have a ride called Chocolate World. Oh my gosh. That you get on and it literally takes you through the production of a Hershey's milk chocolate bar. They're singing cows. They have a song. It's excellent. So Easy. Uh, why? I should have planned a trip. We could have gotten yes. a field trip. That would have been an excellent episode research. Yes, they, they and they like take one of those pictures while you're on the cart, like automatically at the end of the ride that you can buy. So we n- next time you come by, we'll I was gonna say after this baby is born, we are we are going on that ride, like yes, 100. We'll we're saying it right us, now. Yes. Sure, we'll have a picture posted in the future. Amazing. Anyway, yes. continue. Anyway, <laughs> obviously, as you you said, there's the plant-based part of it the the actual thing that makes it chocolate now I'm excited to actually go into like cacao versus cocoa because I get those confused a little bit but um it comes from the plant in generally the rainforest is sort of the vibe that they're doing in that part of the ride but it's Hershey's milk chocolate so singing cows there's milk often (laughs) involved in the production process um they you know you have to melt it you heat it up you mix it so there's some factory production all in there there's the plastic packaging that it goes down the strip the labeling uh it's a whole a whole thing and i'm sure that there's things like palm oil inside Mm -hmm. some of it and um sugar so there's sugar cane so lots of different ingredients going on and that i think this our world in data chart looks lovely but it doesn't give us a whole lot of specifics about what it's talking about there but my guess based on what I'm looking at and based on other studies that I was looking at that do contain that full life cycle is that a lot of what our high carbon footprint is coming from with chocolate is because it encompasses those other things. So if you if you look at that chart, Casey, you can see the the bulk of the emissions for chocolate is that green bar, mm-hmm. uh, which is coming from our land use change. So that's agriculture largely, right? We're uh, taking down forests and, and growing crops. So that is not only talking about the plant that produces our cocoa, that is also likely including things like palm oil and including things like soy is a common ingredient uh, in a lot of chocolate bars as well. Milk, you mentioned sugar, you mentioned. So just know that. I think that's an important thing to realize when we're talking about this, that this is talking about that chocolate bar. So if you have another food item where you're just seeing cocoa, as part of the ingredient, we'll talk about where that comes in. But when you see information like that, talking about chocolate's high carbon footprint, it's likely talking about that full production cycle. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that that was one thing that just needed to click in my brain, I think, right off the bat as I was working on this. So let's talk real quick about what goes into to making chocolate, Casey. You gave us a really nice quick overview right there, but we'll talk about some of those words a little bit. So chocolate comes from a plant. It comes from a tree called Theobroma cacao is the scientific name of it. And the cocoa versus cacao thing, I think is largely in a lot of just sort of casual conversation, if you will, interchangeable. So okay. this tree produces pods that have seeds. You'll hear them referred to as beans a lot of the time in terms of chocolate production. And you will hear those referred to as cocoa pods 
or cocoa seeds or cocoa beans. It's cacao. It's part of this Theobroma cacao plant. So I think technically it should be cacao at this point, but people will call it cocoa because this is is what's going to be involved in the production. So basically what happens is this tree is farmed. So you have your cocoa farmers who have these trees. They have to harvest these pods. They are going to break open the pods often by hand, collect these seeds or beans, spread them out and dry them all by hand. That's all typically done by farmers. Then these seeds or beans are sent off to manufacturing facilities where they are cleaned and roasted. And so some people will tell you that it's this part. It's the roasting of the beans is where it switches from cacao to cocoa. Okay. Once the seeds are roasted, it's going to be now we're going into cocoa production. But even uh, I was getting some of this information from a website called The Science of Cooking. They sort of used cocoa and cacao interchangeably at this point. But uh, but just generally speaking, I think it's it's the roasting according to some folks where you actually make that switch. So once they're roasted, the shell of the bean is removed to produce cacao nibs or cocoa nibs, whatever you prefer. The nibs are ground to produce something called cocoa mass, which is then pressure pressurized. And this becomes more of a paste referred to as chocolate liquor. And then the, the components of that chocolate liquor is mixed with other components to form commercial chocolate, or that liquor can also be processed in its components, cocoa powder and cocoa butter. Vaguely makes sense there. Yeah. So you can have those components. Like you can go to the grocery store and buy cocoa powder, right? So that that's what yeah. that is. That's where this is coming from. It's all the same thing. If you were to continue to further process those parts you're, you can put it together with usually it's more cocoa butter and milk if you're making milk chocolate and sugar to produce your actual chocolate that you're going to use for your bar or your candy. Yeah. Okay. So there's lots of little components that are then sort of siphoned off into their own sort mm-hmm. of like... They could be. Yeah. Yeah. Cocoa and butter I... is used in lotions. Yep. I use cocoa powder in my overnight oats this morning, mm-hmm. give it a little bit of a chocolatey taste. So Yep. And they'll add in, my understanding anyways, that they'll add in additional cocoa butter to the cocoa liquor or whatever yeah. to when they're actually making the chocolate okay. too. So yeah, it's kind of interesting, but it is all coming from this cacao plant I have no idea is in terms of the manufacturing process if all of those things are produced at the same plants or if they're sent off to other places or how all of that works but it is all coming from the same thing your chocolate bar is just going to require more processing and more ingredients added than say your cocoa powder or your cocoa butter I am really curious, like looking at this picture you've provided us on our outline of a cacao pod, Mm -hmm. it looks like a ginormous almond on the outside, like one you could had to use two hands to hold. And then when they break it open, it does not look like chocolate at all. Like if you're imagining like chocolate chips. (laughs) Yeah, it's like this white, it's almost slimy looking. Yeah. And apparently that stuff is edible as well, but I actually I'm watched sure. a video of a guy make chocolate at home in his kitchen. Like he purchased a Oh, nice. And cracked it open. So it is, yeah, it's very interesting. We'll post a picture. Yeah, it probably does not look like what you're imagining. After they have been dried, 
it starts to look a little bit more like what you okay. would probably imagine a, a cocoa bean to look like. All right. So that's the process. What are our environmental impacts associated with this? Well, the big one we're going to talk about, we already mentioned that little green bar on our data, that land use change, deforestation. So, and again, that that graph that we keep referring to is, is talking about emissions, but we know that there are other environmental impacts associated with deforestation as well, just in terms of biodiversity, disrupting habitats and things like that. So Casey, you mentioned tropical, but are you familiar with where in the world at all that cocoa is produced? So I was wondering first where the tree was native to, because there's lots of like food items that are native to a certain section that we've then sort of cultivated in similar climates. Mm -hmm. And it looks like very quickly looking that it's native to tropical South and Central America. Yes. So based on that, are we talking about like there, because uh, that's where I think Hershey's bases their little ride on is South America, but I'm guessing then Central Africa and maybe Southeast Asia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got it. So kind of just along those tropical areas, it did, yes, start native to Central and South America, but has traveled around the world. And now actually by far the biggest percentage of cocoa beans come from Africa. And in particular within Africa, the Ivory Coast and Ghana, so Western Africa, are our top two cocoa producing countries by far you seem oh, shocked by this <laughs> well i mean so first of all if you look at those two countries on a map they are not huge countries mm -hmm. as far as land space goes so sarah's got a really great graph here that breaks down production of cocoa beans by country by percentage and the ivory coast is 43 percent and ghana with an additional 20 percent and they're competing like other things other countries on this list include places like Brazil and Cameroon, which are so much bigger than those two little countries. And they produce most of our cocoa beans. Yeah. And there's so much more, Casey. We talk about this a lot. You know, Casey and I, we do this podcast as our side gigs, we try to get you an episode a week. There's just not enough time. There's not enough time to learn all of the things. I I watched some some brief videos, read some articles about sort of the history of chocolate making and how it came to sort of travel around the world. I have I really don't know exactly why it is that these two African countries in particular have taken over the vast majority, but they do together. They produce over 60 percent of the global supply of cocoa not chocolate at this point. They are producing the beans. These are, and this is largely coming from small farmers. This is coming from lots and lots and lots of small farmers across the, the country who are, uh, you know, hand harvesting these beans and sending them out to manufacturers, oftentimes in Europe or the Americas. And that's where the money comes from, is selling finished chocolate not the beans. So the two things that I wanted to pull out from these graphs are one to recognize that these cocoa beans are a vital source of income for millions of farmers. So not trying to kill the chocolate industry here. This is this is really important for a lot of people. And that a lot of chocolate farmers or a lot of cocoa farmers are living in, in poverty as well. So the, like I said, the real money is in selling the finished product, not 
the components of it. So just some things to keep in mind as we move forward. Yeah, this feels like a through line for a lot of our yeah. episodes about food. Is it's that not new? Yeah, it's not new. Yeah, that the people making the raw materials that <laughs> probably have the hardest, most grueling part of the work. Uh, are then selling the product to people who actually make a bunch of money off of it um, and aren't necessarily living amongst the environmental degradation factors. So lots of supply chain things. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Which is tough because it's hard, at least for me, it's hard for me to grasp all of those supply chain things or know how to help with those. So we'll talk about that more. So I want to point that out. This is where this is coming from. But this is why it's important. We want to support these people who are doing this work. But we're talking about deforestation here. So Ghana has lost an estimated 65% of its forest. And the Ivory Coast has lost more than 90% in the last 30 years. And that's just in general. That is not because of cocoa. But cocoa is one of the things contributing to that. I actually did not put any numbers down specifically to where, to, to what, percentage cocoa is contributing to here because it depends on who you ask and for me it's it's in like knowing those big numbers knowing where we're at with forests that's enough forests are in trouble yeah. in these countries and i think that's the important thing so we want to try regardless of of the percentage that cocoa is contributing to now that's why we need to be aware of it and think about it. So what are the things that are causing cocoa to contribute towards deforestation? It's lessening yields, basically, is one of the things I was reading about specifically in these West African countries, is that the trees are getting older, the land is getting worn down. And so that is causing these farmers who need this money to need to expand into other forested areas. So there's a environmental organization called Mighty Earth that was giving some of this information. They have some pretty high numbers towards what cocoa is contributing to. The World Cocoa Foundation, which is an industry group, does report lower numbers for deforestation, which is not necessarily surprising, deforestation coming from cocoa. But even they agree. They agree that cocoa is still driving deforestation and that that is something that we need to work on. In addition, climate change is likely to continue driving deforestation. Uh, These places, as we continue to have more, uh, less predictable weather events and the temperature rising, it's going to make these places less hospitable to this plant. And that's going to likely continue to drive the crop to be planted elsewhere, potentially in that line of fire, according to models, include areas like the Congo Basin, which is an extremely, (laughs) extremely important area for biodiversity. So something to keep in mind as well. And then like we mentioned, uh, other ingredients in chocolate, such as palm oil and soy, are also big contributors to deforestation, like we've talked about. We will one day have a palm oil episode. It's I bought a textbook, guys, because I desperately want to make sure that if, when we do it, we do it well. But as Sarah said, this is our side gig, so a lot of research time into that. But a lot of the same issues that you're talking about in chocolate production, palm oil is also a type of crop that comes from a tree that then 
will eventually age and have lower yields and etc. So we see a lot of the same sort of deforestation patterns out of the palm oil industry as you're talking about in the chocolate industry. Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit more about deforestation as we move into the section of what we're going to do about it. Because while this is maybe one of the, the biggest issues with cocoa, it's not actually in the way that I thought it was going to be going in. So I'll leave you with that thought. That'll make more Ooh, sense in a, in a moment. I put packaging down on here. You mentioned that at the beginning, Casey. I literally wrote nothing down about this because in the grand scheme of things, this is not a huge part of the uh, the issue with chocolate, but it was mentioned in the full life cycle assessment of things that packaging can contribute and can be somewhat significantly raised or lowered depending on the type of packaging. But I think that's a thing. If folks are interested, I'll find the study again and I can put somewhere what they said the most sustainable type of packaging was. But, you know, for me in general, minimal packaging is better. <laughs> but just know that that's a, a, a small part of the potential issues. My brain was like, buy your chocolate in bulk. <laughs> <laughs> uh don't just, do that I, if that's just, not your lifestyle yeah i have just a great image of casey of you just like sitting there with the, the world's like largest chocolate bunny or something like okay that. yesterday we went to like basically the costco equivalent that's local here and we did get a huge bag of chocolate chips so uh, yes that is my lifestyle <laughs> excellent all right, so moving on to a couple of things that are maybe not directly what you would say environmentally related, but we know that you can't talk about conservation without talking about people. There are human rights issues associated with the cocoa industry as well. Child labor is a big issue in the cocoa farming industry, especially in these Western African countries. And I mentioned poverty already. The money is in selling the chocolate, not in the precursors. A lot of farmers are living below the poverty line, the world poverty line, which is like a dollar and 90 cents a day or something like that. Uh, so both of those issues are present. These are things that certification systems like Rainforest Alliance, like Fair Trade, we've talked about these things before, are working to address, but they are still prevalent. And this is one of those times where I wish that I could say more. I just don't have a lot more to say. They are there. It's a tough problem to solve. Yeah. And it probably leans on a lot of systemic issues that, mm -hmm. that face I mean, the reason you have your kid labor with you is not because you think that's the best possible right. outcome for their life. It's because that's the necessary thing. I, I was just quick doing some Googling and there's an Al Jazeera article. They did an uh, investigation, um, but they said that the Ivory Coast, we just talked about, like produces 40 something percent of the, the world's cocoa. Um, they receive about 4% of the chocolate industry's estimated annual worth. So like you're talking about, those resources are not distributed down to the lowest level of the food chain or the supply chain. Yeah. And there have been things like a, a like a price floor placed for cocoa and like a, a premium for buyers that did help okay. somewhat. Yeah. From my understanding, again, these things, all of this, I just don't have a business mind, so they're they're a little outside of my grasp, but it certainly hasn't solved the problem. It is it is not enough. It's going to take more than this little premium 
which is nothing in the grand scheme of what these large chocolate companies are making. It's going to take more than that to to solve the problem. Interestingly, regarding the child labor as well, one of the things that Rainforest Alliance has done in their more recently updated certification system is it's it's no longer, it's not like a, oh, child labor is present, you're out type of thing which at first was like, ooh, to me, but their reasoning is that that just drives it underground. And so it's now more, I can't remember if it was assess and address or something. I have so many windows open, I can't find it, but they have, <laughs> They again, it'll, it'll all be linked in the show notes, but they have policies in place to hopefully help make people more aware and be able to get them the resources that they need to come out of this, if that makes sense. So- it's it's what we've talked about a million times with third party verification mm-hmm. systems too is that they don't really have a like punishment mechanism outside right. of kicking you out of them but then that just takes away also all of the incentives so exactly. without sort yes. of government intervention you don't have a good way of saying like you can get better and we we will still give you this like gold star on there so and yeah, so it's... i think that they're taking sort of trying the opposite tack now which is to okay this is happening let's incentivize you to help stop this basically so we'll see okay so that kind of leads us into what do what do we do about it the certification systems are one thing that are in place to to try to help but the first thing i want to mention is what i really thought this episode was going to be about and it's still certainly worth talking about but agroforestry which basically is just the the simultaneous management of your crop with other things. So in the case of chocolate, it would be the management of these Theobroma cacao trees within a larger system of other trees. This is not a new thing. This is used by indigenous people. It is still actually used pretty predominantly in the chocolate industry and that's kind of what I was surprised about I couldn't find a lot of stats actually in regards to western Africa but uh, I was I did find one source that said in Ecuador 90% of cocoa production comes from small-scale shade-grown systems so I still think that this is good to talk about. Basically, Theobroma cacao is an understory plant. It grows well in the shade up to a certain point. However, at some point along the way, I there were studies about this kind of dating in the sort of mid-2000s era. So I don't know if that's sort of yeah. around where the push happened. But there was a push for higher yield and a conversion over to these sort of full sun monoculture plantations in some parts of the world this system does produce higher yield for these plants but it's not as sustainable long term casey this is another thing we've talked about before you're my go-to expert on all things plants what are some of the issues with planting monocultures uh, well, I mean, I guess we could also go with kind of what are the pros of doing monoculture. Sure. Yeah. It's easier to manage because mm-hmm. you can kind of, you know, all the plants are basically the same sort of biology. So you can treat them all for the same pests. You can make sure they evenly get water, etc. 
but yeah, the drawbacks are going to be from an environmental perspective. It's basically a biodiversity killer because you have one type, not just one type of crop, but now any animals that were relying on the other plants and things that were in the area now are deprived of either a food or a shelter source. You do have larger companies who will then treat with like pesticides mm-hmm. kind of mass over top of it versus going to individual trees, for example, in a an agroforestry sense, you're you're really trying to take care of the whole system versus trying to take care of just that plant. And then if there's some sort of disease that goes through or a particular pest, uh, you have taken out a lot of the barriers that that disease or pest might encounter if you've got a monoculture because one of those plants is susceptible to it. Probably all of those plants are susceptible. Yeah, absolutely. So again, it did serve to increase yield in the beginning but then studies started coming out to be like oh but actually right. uh, after a while there are some things that happen here so there were studies showing that uh, shade cultivation provides benefits for biodiversity uh, soil fertility and carbon absorption shade trees help to regulate temperature and humidity around crops and are able to keep harmful organisms in check Diseases spread less quickly, fluctuations in temperature can be buffered by shade, creating more stable yields over time. So even though with these full sun things, you might be getting more product per unit of area in the short term, in the long term, you're wearing out your environment, basically. The soil is getting degraded. You are having to rely more heavily on things like those fertilizers and those pesticides and things like that. You mentioned monocultures being easier to manage and and definitely uh the, what you're saying is true i think there's also some benefit though in terms of easier with growing something in this agroforestry system if this theobroma cacao is supposed to be a plant that grows well in shade or partial yes. shade let's grow it in shade or partial shade uh, and then you're going to have less inputs into your system that you're going to have to make. So in that sense, uh, there's there's some trade-off between what's easier too. Yes. And and I mean, I think that what's easier in the short term and what's profitable mm-hmm. in the short, short term oftentimes just takes the the cake in in the kind of supply chain capitalism yeah. system, especially if your neighbor's going over and is all of a sudden producing way more than you are, even if in the long term you end up with a healthier crop, that's going to take a lot to stick to your guns to give up on money you might see today, especially if you're in a system that you know requires your whole family to work on this plot of land. But as you said, different types of plants too use different amounts of nutrients in the soil. Mm -hmm. Some will fix nutrients in the soil. Some will contribute them. Some will take them versus, yeah, the monoculture. Everybody's taking the same stuff. And as you said, that's how we get to rely on a lot of synthetics as well. So just a lot of cascading little environmental impacts over time. Right. And in terms of the climate change impact, shade-grown cacao was shown to sequester about 60% of the carbon and sequestration is good. That's what we want. Mm-hmm. Um, so about 60% of the carbon as compared to a natural native forest, whereas monoculture holds only about 30%. So there's a great benefit to doing this agroforestry system. So again, I thought that this was going to be the big thing. I thought that I was going to come on here and be like, yeah, shade deforestation, and like everybody switch to your shade grown chocolate. But Again, I I sadly could not find overall numbers on this. 
and it is certainly still a thing that is talked about as, as something that the cocoa industry needs to continue to shift towards. So there must still be some full sun plantations that are are going on out there. But it does seem like much of the chocolate comes from these small scale farmers, and many of them do to some level shade grown crops. And there are different variations of this in terms of how much understory gets thinned out where these things are 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 planted what other types of crops and trees are, are grown around with them so there are different ways to to do it even within the shade grown sort of family there but it was it was surprising to me to see that maybe this this wasn't the the big thing uh the or the only big thing that we needed to be doing yeah i started and then uh abandoned an episode about coffee Mm -hmm. um but this is often the talking point that you hear about coffee production if you're looking for the shade grown coffee you're looking for bird friendly coffee which implies generally shade grown they're leaving other trees around so yeah it is interesting because i have never seen any packaging that said shade grown chocolate right so, so it, yeah. se- it seems to be a little more of the standard already, although I was also reading some, at least in, in one source, where they were talking about how in some parts of Africa, the issue may be that the larger shade trees were already cleared. So right. say logging had cleared out the larger shade, and now we've got, you know, somebody planting cocoa there, which you know they and they don't have the resources to plant sure. those other trees so that's an area where maybe you know some of these organizations can step in and help to provide you know some of the the resources to these farmers so uh, there's again just lots of little overlapping factors there but it is nice to see that there does seem to be a large amount of shade grown in the system already so what else? What else can we do? Well, there was the Cocoa and Forests Initiative signed by the governments of Ghana and the Ivory Coast, plus uh, 35, that might be a typo, 35 or 36 uh, cocoa or chocolate companies. In This was in 2017. This is our good old COP23. So this was one of those international climate change conferences back in 2017. And this is largely aimed at preventing further deforestation. Again, it's one of those things where they report, yeah, we're making progress, but deforestation has increased since 2019. (laughs) So it's just hard. It's hard. There are so many aspects. There are not enough resources to go around for all of these things. I'm always a proponent of of anything is better than nothing. It's good that we have this agreement. If you look at the list of participants in this group, we see General Mills, we see Mars is on there, we see Nestle on there, we see Starbucks on there, uh, we see the Hershey Company on there, Godiva Chocolates. So there's so many big names in chocolate that have agreed to participate in this thing. I have to feel that that's a good thing. You just really want to see some results come from it. But you can look at that. You can follow them and you can you can see what their progress has been. I also, like I said, I, I do support the Rainforest Alliance, fair trade, things like that. I think that folks are trying. <laughs> I think right. these systems are hard. Um, there was a study looking at cocoa sustainability initiatives in West Africa that 
basically found that, quote, on average, outcomes of these programs are mixed and generally modest. So there's that. Conservation is complicated. I think that's like an also good baseline for a lot of the things we talk about is that it feels like there should be some straightforward solutions. And it's not that there aren't smart people working on a lot of it, but it's, it's complicated, especially when we get into a global perspective. Yeah, I this was a roller coaster for me because, like I said, I, I thought the problem was going to be one thing. And then when I found that the thing that I thought was going to be the solution was already happening, I was like, oh, right, good. like, I feel better about things. And then I come to all of this other stuff and these, you know, studies just showing just not a lot of progress there. Uh, and it becomes a little discouraging and it's frustrating to feel, I think, so far removed from it all too you know like I said it's all just a thing that I don't understand we talk they talk a lot about tracking supply tracking being an issue with chocolate as well because you've it's that makes it hard to certify things because you've got basically beans coming from a whole bunch of different farmers all being shipped together and going off to to manufacture so things can be hard to ship that makes accountability hard and all of these types of of things and and on the one hand I can understand that as I say it on the other hand I'm like guys why is it so hard why is it so hard to just know where your product is coming from uh but it's so it's all just such a different world to me that it can be very frustrating to sit here and be like well I I want to do something to help I want to do things that are right but to to feel a little bit powerless in the moment and I I want to circle slightly back to last week's episode about gardening because mm-hmm. this is something that gardening at home obviously I don't live in a climate that supports me having any sort of theobroma cacao trees in my backyard but sourcing more of my diet to be where I know mm-hmm. where it's from helps me feel like I do have a little bit more control over it and I understand it a little bit more but yeah there are certain parts that the the lifestyles that we live are are so far removed from from the origin of where those things come from uh it's a challenge it's there's there's no good solution from a consumer perspective I would say we don't stop consuming things just because we decide and you're going to end up consuming something that you morally don't support all the way down the right. line. I think that, you know, especially things like the child labor things, which are so far outside of my expertise mm-hmm. <laughs> um, too, that I don't have like any good other than like rainforest certified or fair trade. These are third parties that know more than I do, mm-hmm. but yeah, there's just a lot of parts of it that are hard to tackle, but I'm glad to know that there's some major pushes happening in Ghana and Ivory Coast to work with those other chocolate companies. And hopefully we'll see some results in the next couple of years. Yeah. Something to keep monitoring for sure. I feel uh, like we're, we're leaving on sort of a sour note here, which is not the intention. So don't go no, anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Stick around. I do have a few challenges of the week for you actually. So hopefully we can feel better about the chocolate that we are choosing. So stick around for that.
All right, everybody, thanks for listening to our discussion on chocolate. I do wish I had some better answers. I will say I thoroughly enjoyed learning more about chocolate and learning more about the production. I was reading about the components like to be dark chocolate, what it has to contain versus milk chocolate versus white chocolate, which for a long time wasn't considered chocolate because it doesn't have cocoa powder i guess in it but it does have cocoa butter okay in it so it so is like cacao it still based. has a component of that plant in there anyway i enjoyed reading about that stuff but it was hard it was hard to think about what needs to be done and and ultimately what needs to happen is we need increased protection for forests continue that shift back whatever or continue on in agroforestry and improvement of that supply tracing one of the things i didn't even mention i meant to talk about it when we were talking about deforestation is that that's part of the issue too is a lot of cocoa farms encroach on protected areas mm-hmm. which is not necessarily illegal from what i was gathering but it's also not great because like we talked about even those shade grown systems are it's, it's not the same as the natural forest, either in terms of emissions or necessarily for habitat, although it is certainly better for habitat than those monoculture systems. Anyway, so like those are the big things that need to happen and it can feel hard. It can feel like we we can't necessarily do anything about those. But there are little steps that we can take and little things that we can do. And the first challenge for you, if you are looking to buy some chocolate, I put on here a look for locally produced chocolate. This does not mean local to you. This means local to where the cocoa is. So cool. See if you can find some chocolate produced in the same country or part of the world where these cocoa farms are. And one of the the best that I found in terms of accessibility is a company called Beyond Good. And their website is beyondgood.com. Whoop, I have some. Oh. I actually can't remember where I got it. It was through, it might've been Misfits Market or one of those subscription services but, uh, services, but you can actually get this in stores near me, but you can also buy it online from them. You can go to their website and buy online. This tastes different than your Hershey's bar. I have here, this is a 63% cocoa Mm. sea salt and nibs chocolate bar. And it's good. I really like it. That sounds up my alley. Yeah, It's just different. So don't bite into it expecting your Hershey's milk chocolate bar. So that's that's one suggestion to you. Is this going to be huge in terms of straight up environmental impact? Maybe not necessarily, but this is helping with that poverty issue. This is helping with that traceability. These are direct, I think direct trade is what they call it. Like this is going, they purchase directly from those farmers. This is actually produced in Madagascar. So it's not coming from Western Africa in those countries, oh. but the, the farms are in Madagascar yeah, and the, the bars are actually made in Madagascar and sold. And I think they've expanded to another country as well. I'd have to look at, at their website, but another African country now too. So I feel good about that. I feel good about supporting, like you can actually get on there and they pinpoint all of the farmers that they work with. You can read about them. They don't mention shade grown 
at all. It's just not even a thing. But if you look at the farmers, if you click on a farmer, they will tell you how many cacao trees they have and then how many trees they have in general. Oh, so nice. there clearly is a shade grown system there. Yeah. They also support or they also state on their website that the areas where their cocoa farms are, they are home to five species of lemurs. And there's a little video that they had posted about it as well. So they are aware of the wildlife habitat need as well. So that's challenge number one. See if you can find yourself some chocolate from that part of the world where the beans are produced. Point number two, challenge number two, don't overbuy. Are you really going to eat that giant chocolate bunny? Do you really need it? We're coming up on a time of the year where people are buying a lot of chocolate. Don't overbuy. That's just a great principle in general, yeah. right? In terms of the environment and sustainability, only buy what you're going to use. Third challenge or suggestion, maybe if you want to look at it this week, if you are buying chocolate, see if you can err on the side of dark chocolate. In those life cycle assessments, dark chocolate does come out as a little better for the environment yes. because of less of those other inputs being involved. Some of those other ingredients that you're going to find like dairy and milk chocolate, uh, not needing as much of those other ingredients in dark chocolate. And then lastly, do look for products that have, I, I usually go for Rainforest Alliance, but you can look for Fair Trade as well, um, but that Rainforest Alliance certified cocoa. So for example, that breakfast drink that I drink every morning is Rainforest Alliance, has the Rainforest Alliance seal for cocoa. I know that that is not solving any problems uh, immediately right now, and I understand what the study results are saying. I am not ready to give up on systems like this yet. And I do, whether this is just me lying to myself, but right now I feel better trying to support organizations that are out there trying to help, even if we haven't quite figured out the best ways to do so yet, if that makes sense. Does that seem fair to you? I th I think so. I mean, from my also American perspective of... <laughs> consuming sure. but i know for you like this is something that you this is not like a hundred percent a luxury this is how you like fuel yourself in the morning it's this kind of mm -hmm. staple of your diet it's not something that's going to necessarily like it's it's not something that you would just give up on moot point if you switch to another thing that's very similar that's not rainforest alliance certified Right. what are you doing like I don't know that there's any advantage to that either so I'd rather also go with something that was third-party certified even if it's only meeting some of its commitments with the understanding that these things don't aren't foolproof right oh and then I see here also that you have looking for some chocolate products that are sustainable or orangutan friendly yeah and that's you know we talk about certification with palm oil yeah, we thought it was hard with uh, <laughs> with cocoa uh, uh, meat palm oil. So, yes. um, I you're probably not going to be able to find a label that says anything has certified sustainable palm oil. You can look for some that are palm oil free. You might. Uh, you can look for some that are palm oil free. My Beyond Good chocolate bar does not contain any palm oil. Um, but you can also just look at our companies again that are striving to make that effort. The Cheyenne Mountain Zoo typically lists 
uh, a bunch of companies around all different holidays where candies might be purchased and they'll give you some good suggestions. There's also palm oil apps that you can get on your phone that uh, might direct you to some more sustainable choices. I'm giving myself another challenge for this week as well, Sarah. I am going to read the sustainability report for Hershey's because because they're they're my like quote local sort of like it you know probably in the top 20 things of pennsylvania hershey's capital is here so um i i want to know more i know it's something that on the chocolate world ride i remember from when i was a teenager they finally started talking about that um and they also sort of used it a little bit for a while to say we're focusing on that not palm oil mm. and so i do i want to know i want to know how how close they are what they're actually doing yeah. and since they're part of this agreement like yeah what they're doing so that's my challenge for the week is to read that it's on their website so it's available. and that's that's a great additional challenge we can throw out to everybody too if you have a go to company chocolate mm-hmm. company that you know that you typically partake of check them out see what they're doing i like that also i'm i'm realizing that we missed an opportunity i should have said like i should have challenged people to just share this episode if we get however many listens on this episode that you and i would go on that chocolate world ride but yes, it's too late it. i've already offered <laughs> you, it you you showed that of, you're too excited about it <laughs> anyway uh yeah thanks casey great points as always i love the the additional challenge anything else before we wrap up no but thank you so much for doing this one i think that it's fair to say hey share this episode share if you like the pod (laughs) review the pod give us five stars um we had a pretty great month last month and we're yeah. coming up. This will be coming out right around our two-year anniversary of the I pod. didn't even think about that. So, yeah. So yeah, if you haven't given us a review on wherever you listen to podcasts or told a friend about it and you yeah. find this valuable or enjoyable, please do because it, it. we're hoping to just make the world a little greener. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah. Uh, the title works so good for so many things <laughs> where can they find us sarah if they want to to talk to us about chocolate yeah if you want to talk to us about chocolate if you want to share us with your friends you can find us on social media we're on facebook a little greener podcast we're on instagram at a little greener pod we're on twitter at a greener podcast and you can email us at a little greener podcast at gmail.com thank you so much sarah thanks everybody for listening we'll talk to you next week bye